0: Hey, Hey, Real Relationship Talk family. Welcome back to the podcast today. I am your host, Dana Shea. And if you are new, maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. Welcome to the party. I'm so happy to have you as a part of this amazing community. I think you're really going to enjoy our content. And so make sure that you go back through the episodes that you've missed and catch up. Uh, We've had some amazing conversations. We are wrapping up our all about sex series. This is the final episode in that series. And you guys it's probably been one of the most favorite things that I've ever done. We have had some really thought provoking conversations and I've heard from so many of you who have really been challenged by some of what we've talked about on these podcast episodes. And so that is so great. Well, listen, today's episode features my good friend, Dr. Jessica McLeese. And you might be familiar with Jessica because she was one of our first guests on the podcast. She was back on episode four, how to have a more fulfilling sex life. And so sex. And married sex and how to have great sex, that is all Jess's jam. And so when I thought about this particular episode, I could not think of anyone better that I wanted to have speak to us on this whole issue of how childhood sexual abuse can affect our sexuality. And so Jess and I have a real transparent conversation. Y'all know how I do. And you just got to listen to what we talked about. So before we get into our conversation today, we do have a Q&A with Dana Shea segment. And so I want to read to you this question. And as you all know, we are going to answer the question at the end of the episode. So be sure to listen all the way through. This question came to me on Instagram. And this person says, hey, Dana, love the podcast and all you're doing to help relationships. My husband and I have enjoyed the sex series you're doing. It has sparked so many conversations between us. I've heard you talk about writing in questions, so I decided to send you one today because my husband and I couldn't agree on this one. He likes to watch porn. Not a lot, but on occasion. At first, I didn't care because it seemed like he was more into me after watching it. But then I started to wonder if it was me he was into or if he was having fantasies about what he had just watched. Long story short, I told him I wanted him to cut out the porn. He doesn't see the problem with it and said, most men are out here cheating on their wives. I'm totally into you. We really do have a great marriage other than this. Should I just let it go? By the way, you can use my real name so he knows I sent you this. Tiffany. All right, Tiffany. Well, I'm going to answer your question at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for that question. I think that a lot of marriages are dealing with porn. A lot of people don't talk about it. It's kind of like that deep secret that we just like aren't going to talk about. Some people have justified it. And so I want to really be able to bring light to this issue. So like I said, we will talk about this at the end of the episode. Well, guys, we have been trying to get Jess back on the podcast for several weeks. She just experienced a real tragedy in her family. Her father my father recently passed away from COVID and because Jess and I are friends, she was actually going to do this episode right before he passed away. He was literally a couple of days from death and Jess and I hopped on the call and I was just like, Jess, I don't think the time is right. Let's just wait. And so he passed away just a couple of days later. And so I'm always grateful to Jessica for coming on the podcast and lending her expertise. But today was an especially grateful day for me because I know that she literally is in the middle of grieving. And so be sure to just show her some love, go on her website, send her your prayers and your thoughts, and um, and just let her know that we are really grateful for her. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with the amazing Dr. Jessica (laughs) McLeese. All right, Jess. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that we finally made this happen. I know that you had a loss in your family and we've been trying to get this episode on the books for a long time. And I just appreciate you, friend. I appreciate you just pushing through and even being willing to record this podcast when you were going you know, through all of that. And so how's your family doing, by the way?
1: Yeah, everybody's doing okay. Um, we're going through our own, you know, grieving processes, but we're trying to do that as a family as much as possible and supporting one another and loving on one another, praying for one another. Um, So, you know, dad prepared us for all of this and kind of let us know what was happening. So we were as prepared as we could have been, which is a good thing. Um, and I mean, that that's that. That's just kind of where we are. So we're in the process of grieving, which is hard always for everybody, no matter how prepared or how much you expect something to happen. Um, not that we expected this prior to him getting COVID, but um, yeah, so we're, we're doing the best we can and just grateful that it's not really over. It's see you later, as we say in our right. family. So
0: um,
1: yeah, I would say we're handling it as well as anybody could.
0: Yeah, well, gosh, I, I just can't imagine, you know, I, I didn't grow up with my dad, um, mm-hmm. you know, but he did pass away when I was 19. And thank God we were able to reconcile right before he died, like literally six months before he died, we had reconnected and I was with him. I was at his bedside when yeah. he passed away. And so just walking with you, even from afar, just kind of seeing like what you were going through. Um, I know that, you know, I pray for you often. And I mm-hmm. know that the the road to grief is a very long one. And it's just, you just have to go through it. You know, there's no shortcuts around it. So that's so true. Yeah. Well, today we are going to have a conversation that I hope really um, just blesses and helps people in their healing and in their own journey. And I wanted to really end this whole all about sex series with something that I think is very applicable for many of us. I think that all of us have been affected by sexual abuse in some way. Either you are a survivor, I don't like the word victim, right? You are either a survivor of sexual abuse or you know someone who is. And so I think that this conversation is gonna span lots of different topics of conversation. And that's really what my goal is, is that after people listen to this episode, that they will think, where am I at? on my own journey to healing have i ever even talked about this maybe this is something that i buried long ago never to ever talk about again and i know that it, it probably can elicit some um some feelings some some emotions that people thought were buried a long time and that's why it was really important for me to have this conversation with you who you know you are a licensed psychologist like you are not just someone who who has the knowledge but you have the educational background and i really want to refer people to you because what I do as a marriage and relationship coach, like this is a little out of my purview. You know, this is a little beyond my scope, um, but I really do want people to be healed and to be set free in this area. And so I thought I cannot think of a better person to have this conversation with than, than Jess. So Jess, as as transparent as you want to be, as free as you want to talk, um tell us a little bit about your personal experience with sexual abuse and how has that maybe even fueled you to do what you do as a as a marriage counselor.
1: Yeah, so I have Kind of a lengthy story, unfortunately, so I'm going to hit like boom, 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 kind of the high points of the um, the the very speedy version of it, I would say, and anyone that's been through sexual abuse would know that when you're telling your story, there's usually a much longer version than what you actually share, um, just because it would take a long time to share every bit of it. Uh, that's why counseling works so well for people. So my my earliest experience of sexual abuse that I know happened, that I fully remember, Um Happened when I was a freshman in high school. And so I had been invited to a party. Um, well, I thought it <laughs> i thought it was a party. I was invited to a hangout where there was supposed to be a whole lot of my friends there. And I got there and it was actually just this one guy. And his parents were there as well. Uh, he ended up having me go into this back room with me to show me something. I don't even remember what, but he had told me he was showing me something. Um, and I followed him and he ended up, he kept groping me and touching me in ways that I didn't want. And then he ended up at one point had put me on the bed, was laying on top of me, holding me down where I couldn't move my arms. Um and, and then he stopped at some point. And he called me later and said he had stopped because I looked so scared. Mm. Super weird interaction, right? Because what wow. do you even do with that? Because that's not really an apology. That's a, I got freaked out. And so I stopped. Um, so that was my earliest experience. So it started with a lot of groping and touching, what we would call sexual molestation, if we're going to kind of separate into categories. Um, but I found that that I was continually getting into these places of being in situations that I hadn't planned on or hadn't realized were going to have so there was that experience freshman year. There was a whole nother one with someone else sophomore year, a whole nother with junior year, a whole nother with senior year. And then I was dating someone who actually raped me several times. Um, And that actually happened on two occasions, two different guys I had dated. Um, So I got to a place where I didn't even know how to say no anymore. And so I would just be like, well, I mean, okay, this is this is what guys do. This is just kind of what's expected. I don't want to get hit. So I might as well just take it and just kind of lay there. And that became my experience for a long time. I thought well at least at least I'm not getting physically abused and since this is how guys behave then my best choice is just to kind of stay silent about it and to not fight it too much and just let it be. So I actually had to go through a pretty long counseling process to be able to say oh that was abuse, because if you don't want it, it actually is rape, even if you even if you give up fighting, even if you decide that you're not strong enough to fight, even if you decide well, I've told I've told you no once. And now I just I won't say no anymore because I, I literally can't do anything about it. And so I had to go through a process where I was actually able to say, oh, that was abuse, because for many years I just called it bad sex. And so for a long time, until I'd gone through some serious therapy hearing, no, actually, someone's not allowed to touch you if you say no. Oh, no, someone can't do this to you just because you're in a relationship. Like, I really had a lot of um, unpacking that I had to do um, to learn that those things weren't okay. And it all started when I was really just a kid, because what freshman year, you're what, around 14, I guess, 14, 15. So, So as an adult, I can look back and be like, gosh, 14, 15 that's a kid. Like I have nieces that are 14, 15. I'm like, they're babies. But when I was going through counseling, it took me a really long time to realize, no, I didn't really have a lot of choice. Then I was just a kid. And it took a long time even to realize that, yeah, that was abuse. Like you at 14 and 15, you can't consent to something that you don't want that makes you uncomfortable. With someone that's so much larger, you can't fight them off. Like, like even just laying there isn't actually consent. Um, So I had quite a long process to work through just to even recognize that what had happened was not okay.
0: Wow, wow. And I think you know a lot of times when we think of childhood sexual abuse, I think that maybe some people don't think of teenagers. You know, we think, oh, you know, all teenagers are kind of. Into sex at some point, mm-hmm. and so and so. A lot of times we'll think of the five or the six year old, but the what what you just said is so key, and it's that if if something is happening to you sexually that you don't like and that you don't want, that is considered rape. And Sheila uh, Gregoire and I actually had this conversation when she was on the podcast, even talking about marital rape. So yeah. even in marriage, you know, there are times that women are like, they're literally saying no, or maybe fighting off, or they don't want to, but because they're married, it's somehow kind of pushed under the rug, like, you know, well, you signed up for this. And so I think that that's really an important message that we need to get across. Um, Something that I was telling you before, you know, we started the the recording, Jess, is I am also a childhood sexual abuse survivor. And my family knows people who are really close to me, they know the story, but I had never really talked about it publicly, because Mm -hmm. of many reasons. I think there was still kind of that stigma of shame, even though I had done my work and I had gone through counseling years and years of therapy. I felt like, you know what? I've been there, done that and passed that. We don't need to talk about that. Like there's all kinds of other things that we can talk about. But the more people that I'm helping and the more clients that I'm serving, this issue keeps coming up. And it really kind of came to a head when I did this video four years ago on sexless marriage. And I said something in the video, I didn't even know it was going to come out of my mouth. But I said, a lot of you all are in sexless marriages because of past childhood sexual trauma. And then I said, and we'll talk about that later in the video. And <laughs> I don't even know if we went back and talked about it because I shocked myself when I said that. And mm. I know that that was my story. Personally, I was not a promiscuous girl. I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of sexual, no sexual experiences, you know, really other than my when I got together with Sean, who's my husband now, but um, thankfully, you know, not to get too graphic, but my sexual abuse story wasn't, um, my virginity wasn't taken away. Mm-hmm. But even still, that still made me um, more sexual, more, um I would f- experience arousal and all kinds of things mm-hmm. that I think the door was just open way, way, way too early.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think that when we look at these girls, like in the Black community, at least, you know, we'll see these what we call fast girls, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a little fast little girl, right? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of these, quote, girls are probably victims of childhood sexual abuse. And so they are trying to figure out like, I actually, it's weird because I, it kind of feels good, but it's wrong. I know it's wrong. What do I do with those feelings? And having zero teaching on that, having no one to talk to about that, um, being ostracized, made to feel like it was your fault, all of those things. And I know that everyone's story is different. I know for me, it was just kind of, you know, I told my mom about it. We dealt with the situation with the person that was involved. And it was just kind of like, okay, we don't really need to talk about that anymore. And so there was no prolonged care as far as like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? That that didn't happen until I became an adult and realized, whoa, I still have some issues. I still have some healing that hasn't happened. The way that I was relating to my husband wasn't, I knew it wasn't healthy. I talked earlier about, you know, even being ashamed to be like naked in front of him. And it wasn't because I was overweight or I had any kind of body issues per se, but I didn't want to be seen like that. I was like, oh, well, we can turn the lights out, like keep the lights down, you know? And I feel like that is also, very common. I I meet a lot of women who say that, you know, we don't want to just like keep the lights down. And obviously it's not because every one of them are survivors of sexual abuse, but I do feel like that that does play a hand in it. So I wanted to know, Jess, how, how else have you seen these survivors of sexual abuse, whether they were children or teens or maybe even adults, how have you seen that play out in their adult sexuality?
1: So you're definitely right that everybody's story is different and the way everybody responds to abuse, like like that can all be different too. So like the fast girl that you're talking about or the promiscuous girl, that can certainly happen. And then you can also have the complete other side where people will do whatever it takes to make sure someone isn't attracted to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've known of women who will struggle with eating disorders and they will basically kind of purposely gain weight and gain weight and gain weight until they're having health complications. But their answer to it is, but if I lose the weight, what if someone harms me again? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people can do things that are kind of self sabotaging, because it's that fear of but if I look pretty, or if I look attractive in any way, what if someone just wants to use me, which of course, is a very deep message that's really hard to unwrap. And it's hard to provide that safety again, it can be done. But it takes a lot of work because abuse teaches you that you are worthless. Abuse teaches you that you're not valuable. And so when that comes into a marriage... Obviously, it's really hard to connect, not just in sex, but but really in every single area of the marriage. Because if you can't be intimate with your spouse, because there's that deep underlying concern of I'm being used, or you only want me for sex, like that starts to create problems in every area of the relationship. Um, now I can't trust you to tell you um, maybe a fear I have at work, or I can't trust you to tell you of this big goal and dream I have in my mind that I don't know if I can reach, or I can't trust you to tell you how sad I am about a friendship I lost because you might think it's silly. Like it starts impacting every bit of your relationship if you can't trust in the sexual relationship.
0: Oh my goodness. That's so true. I think of this like kind of prolonged celibacy that, you know, it works well if you're a Christian single and you're trying to, you know, honor God and your sexuality and all of that. So it's like, I'm going to be celibate, but I wonder how many of those Christian single celibate ones are really celibate because they're trying to honor God, or how many of them are just afraid of sex? And then right. that spills over even into marriage. And this is kind of again going back to the sex video thing that I did, you know, where even in marriage, of course, we know that a healthy marriage requires sex, right? Like, you can't be celibate and married. But how many people struggle with wanting sex, with with feeling like, you know, sex just isn't for me because they've really shut down in that area. They don't want to be. I love that you said, you know, women who, or even men, you know, people who do not mm-hmm. want to be sexually attractive or available because I don't want that to happen to me again. Mm-hmm. And We live in a very sexually exploitive culture. And I mean, I could walk out of my house. I literally remember in Walmart, okay? I was nine months pregnant, Jessica. So, you know, I'm I'm feeling huge. You know, I'm waddling around. I had sweatpants on and like a hoodie. I mean, I'm not looking attractive at all. And this man in Walmart is like sexually like you know, like saying all this stuff to me. And I'm like, and I literally looked at him and I don't know if it was hormones or I was just agitated. And I was like, buddy, you need to raise your standards. You know, (laughs) like here I am, (laughs) this nine month pregnant woman with a hoodie on and some sweatpants, and you're coming on to me, you know? And so, but I feel like that's the thing. Like as a woman, you go out and you're just trying to like live your life and you have these people who are making all of these advances at you all the time. And so compound that with, unhealed sexual trauma, I can totally understand why someone would not want to engage at all, who's, how someone would not want to appeal to or the opposite sex. And so... I think that that's a conversation that is is we need to have. We need to have that with singles. We -hmm. need to talk about, yes, we want you to honor God and your sexuality, but we also want you to be healthy in your sexuality. God made us sexual beings. And so Mm -hmm. it's not something that we should feel ashamed of or something that we should hide. And I'm all about, you know, let's take back what the enemy tried to take from us. Right. And so if you have gone through sexual trauma or sexual abuse, my desire is that you actually do the work to heal so that you can be whole in that area. So just how did you heal? I know you talked about, you know, walking through uh, therapy and I, again, have my own therapy story. But how would you recommend let's say that there's someone listening and they've never talked about this to a soul? They've never opened up and shared with anyone or maybe someone who they have talked about it. And like me, they thought they were healed and good to go, but there was still some residual work that they needed to do. How would you recommend that someone begin the process of walking through their own healing?
1: So. I want to answer that, but I actually want to take a step back just a little bit on what you were just saying a okay, moment ago, yeah. especially about celibacy. So I actually like the word chastity more than celibacy. So celibacy is this cutoff, right? You shall not, you will not, do not do this. Um, and I think that it gets really hard to, to feel freedom in marriage later because all people know is where there's a lot of rules and boundaries and expectations. And so it's hard to, to turn that off and enjoy a relationship with your spouse. So I think it's really important that we look at chastity, which is more about... holiness and honoring your body and honoring the people that you love. So we don't use people, right? right. Um, And so I like to look more at chastity because that's the message that holds true for Christians. That's the message that holds true from singleness all the way to marriage, all the way to, if you get divorced, like chastity is always a part of that. We're always supposed to honor God with our bodies. We're always supposed to honor one another with our bodies. So everything we do should be connecting and it should make us feel loving towards one another. Um, you can't do that when you're using somebody, whether you're single or married, doesn't matter. You cannot honor God and honor your body and honor your partner's body. If you're not actually in a relationship and both feeling connected at that moment, and both wanting to have sex and both wanting to have sex in the way that whoever is proposing it, like all of that, the only way to really have chastity is to have that connection in relationship. Um, So I like that word. That doesn't mean please don't hear me anyone that I think you can have sex outside of marriage. That's not what I'm saying. I just say I prefer the term chastity over celibacy because I think it's a clearer picture of what we're actually trying to do and how we can take that into marriage later.
0: That's good. That's a really good distinction. Thanks for making that, that yeah. point. And I think, you know, speaking along those same lines, I think, you know, we talk about words like sexual purity, which mm-hmm. is problematic for so many reasons. I think yeah. it's the same point, right? Like you yeah. still have to be sexually pure, even after you get married. Like <laughs> right. you know, It's not yeah, like, you all right, now I'm dirty and defiled. Let's <laughs> no, do this thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's really yeah.
1: funny. But that is, that is what people think, right? And I think that's why it's so hard to make that, make that shift from singlehood to marriage. So if you've been waiting to have sex until marriage and then you get married, that's really hard for people because that is that dirty shameful is what they're thinking, right? That's dirty. Good girls don't do this. And then you get married and it's like, Oh wait, Wait, am I a good girl now or a bad girl or am my bad girl at home and a good girl outside of the home? I mean, there's even a song I'm sure, you know, of that talks about that. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's hard to make that shift because nobody can make that shift. We're not designed to be one person, the dirty girl at home and then be like the good girl outside of the home. But sex isn't a bad thing sex is a good thing and it's a gift and it helps couples feel close together if it's used properly. So that, yeah, it's a big difference to think along the lines of chastity instead of um, the lines of like celibacy or, um, or even abstaining, because like when you abstain from alcohol, that means you do not have it. Right. You're not just going to switch one day and be like, okay, well, and now I won't abstain (laughs) if you have a reason for abstaining. Um, So yeah, it's important that we, we talk about these things differently for sure.
0: Yeah. I like that. I'm going to definitely start using the word chastity. You know, I think mm. it just sounds friendlier too. It does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. So let's talk a little bit about how, how would you recommend that someone actually walk through their healing? So let's say that, mm. you know, they're, they're, they've recognized, all right, I think I need to do some work in this area, but it can be scary because it, you know, our sexuality goes to the core of who we are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a private part of who we are. And so to have someone, first of all, be willing and open and honest enough to talk about it, I think requires immense vulnerability. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to talk to the right person mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, I think of um, women who, you know, there, there's been lots and lots of sexual abuse stories and, and many families, you know, the status stay what like one in four women and then one in six men and so and we talked earlier just about how mm-hmm. we think that those stats are probably under uh really underserving what the real numbers are we yeah. feel that there's probably more like maybe even one in two but in most families again like i said before you're going to experience this in some way and i think that a lot of times if you tell the wrong person who shuts you down or again, who makes you feel like this was your fault or who says thing, who who tries to religialize it somehow. Like I think of all of these little kids who were mm-hmm. abused by the Catholic church and how that went unnoticed or untalked about for years and years and years and how these kids were made to feel like it was their fault. Yeah. Uh, I think that's such a dangerous message. And so I want people to be able to talk, but then talk to the right person too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's a couple of things for sexual trauma. EMDR is one of the things that um, a proven therapy technique. So that's eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. Um, it's a really long name that basically means you learn how to separate the emotions um, and the facts of what happened. And so you can integrate your story more fully. And so, yes, you can say that this was a painful experience in life. And at the same time, learn things like this was not my fault. Um, Um, while also learning, this is now how I walk a path of healing. And this is how I can see sex differently than it's been before. Um, now that's a, that's a very, um, I'm telling you kind of the theory, but it's much deeper than that. So if someone wants to learn more about it, they can certainly look it up. It's very popular. Um, So I would say, if you're going to seek out a counselor, you want to make sure that you have someone who knows what they're doing. So I always tell people, don't be afraid to ask, like ask all of your questions of your counselor Get on the phone before you schedule an appointment. Say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Do you work with people like this? What kind of steps are we going to take together? How are you going to walk me through this process? What do you see as a successful resolution? So learn learn what your therapist says about these things before you decide to start working with them so that y'all can decide together, yes, this is a good fit or no, it's not. Um, look at their values, see the types of things they're going to teach and preach by reviewing their website and see if those align with you. So that would be kind of the first thing. Um, secondly, I would say, yeah, sex is a really vulnerable place. That's true. And talking about it can feel really vulnerable. If you've listened to TV, if you've seen movies, if you've listened to music, I can guarantee you sex is not secret at all, but people try to trick you into believing it's secret when it's hurt you Mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to talk about it. So I would let people know as As painful as it feels and as scary as it it feels, the only way to get on the other side of that is to go ahead and open that place, that vulnerable place, um, share it with somebody that's trusted, and that's how you start healing from those things. Um, But sex isn't a secret as we make it. Oh, no, no, no. What we make secret is the victimization piece. That's what we try to make real secret. Um, And we know... I mean, we can look at our history as a culture. The longer you victimize somebody, the more unlikely they are to have the strength to stand up and talk. And as they can't stand up and talk, they remain a victim. Mm -hmm. So the only way to overcome those struggles is to no longer let them hurt you. Um, So There is a big difference between being victimized and being a victim. And when we sit in a place of shame and guilt and fear, we're sitting in a place of being a victim. Mm -hmm. And I would say my sister out there listening or brothers, because this happens Mm -hmm. to men too. If you're in that place where you're saying, okay, now I'm a victim or I've been, um, I've been hurt so deeply. I don't even know if I can talk about it. Friend, take that first step and start walking into that freedom because you can get to a place where sure you were victimized. So you don't have to be a victim. You can be an overcomer. You can be far more than just a survivor. You can be thriving and you can have a beautiful relationship on the other side of all of this.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And I think that there is definitely a difference between, you know, your sexuality being private, which is kind of where I was more like, it's a private part of you versus it being secret. I think that there are men, especially, who I think women are coming to a place where, especially with like the hashtag Me Too movement, where you have all of these amazing, brave women sharing their stories. And I feel that there has been um, an uptick in women who are now being more free. But I still feel so sorry for our brothers who they're, There was kind of like a he too movement that really didn't get as much traction. But I think of a woman right now, I don't know who she is, but I believe that she's listening to this episode right now, who her husband has been a a survivor of sexual abuse and she knows it. And she doesn't know how to talk to him about it because he's never talked to her because he's never talked to anybody about it. And Mm -hmm. so how can men remove that stigma? Because a lot of heterosexual men have been victimized. They have been... Mm -hmm. um, they have been affected by childhood sexual trauma. And that to me is like, we're never going to talk about this. You know, Maybe. I follow this guy online. He's actually a homosexual, um, but he he's uh, he's like a relationship. Uh, he wouldn't call himself a coach, but he talks a lot about relationships. And he actually, uh, I was watching this video that he did and he confronted his abuser. He's 30, 35 years old now. And he went back and, and so he's talking on this video about the need to move forward. He was like I realized I was stuck in my life and and I realized that I needed to talk to this person. And so he's literally on the phone with his abuser and you can't hear what the abuser is saying, but you can hear this guy who's talking about this. And so the abuser at one point tried to of course minimize and oh that was a long time ago and um and I think this guy was, you know, in his teens and so again there's that whole well are you sure you didn't want this? Because I was kind of feeling like, you know, and so I just, I just want our brothers to get the same healing that our sisters have been afforded. I want these men to come out of the shadows and these men to be able to tell their stories without feeling like they are somehow, um, less than a man or they're somehow, um, you know, not brave or not strong. And so how would you advise maybe a woman, Jess, who feels like my husband or maybe my boyfriend or whoever, I think that they may have been victimized and they're not talking about it. Like, should she bring it up? Should she not say anything? Should should she encourage him to get help? Should she leave it alone? Like, how can she deal with that?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So first, if I were talking to a woman like that, I would want to know, like, what makes you believe that this happened? Um, So what's what's going on inside of y'all's relationship? What are you seeing that makes you think, well, I think he might've been victimized? Because you got to know that you can't even talk about it or bring it up otherwise, because if he's if he's a little standoffish or if he has a lower sex drive, like that doesn't necessarily mean he's been victimized. So we don't necessarily want to put that on somebody. But if there are things that have just come out that have been clear and I don't even know what that might be. But if there have been things that have come out that make it clear, like, oh, no, you were actually victimized about this. I would say just be really blunt and say, hey, what you're describing actually sounds like sexual abuse to me. And maybe legally it is. So you could even say, gosh, from a legal standpoint, it certainly is. What do you think about that? And start bringing in the conversation. So I would say you just really open up that conversation. Um, Ask him to get help. There are absolutely resources for men. Unfortunately, very few. They're so limited. And that's really awful. Um, But men would feel the same way, right? I should have been strong enough. This is similar to what a woman would feel, right? So I should have been able to push this guy off of me you're only 14. And back then I weighed like 95 pounds. Uh That's true, but I should have been able to. So women struggle with that where men do too. And probably honestly, to a greater degree, because men are always taught about being strong and being masculine. And, and so it can be even harder for them, but for them to recognize, Hey, this dude was like, 50 pounds heavier than you and you were just a kid. Like, do you really think you should have been able to fight him off? And mm-hmm. or sometimes it's an older woman. And so the guy will think, Well, but you know, it was kind of cool. I was, you know, I was 12, she was 32. Um, and so I would kind of, you know, she brought me into manhood that way. And you have to talk about him really what would you think if your 12-year-old son had this happen? Or what would you think if your 12-year-old son um, or your 12-year-old nephew? Or So it helps to put it in a different light so they can see it from kind of a different angle than just that, well, I should have been strong enough. But again, I would say you really got to know why you think the abuse is there. Now, if you know that abuse is present, so it's not, I think it might be there, but if you know there was definitely abuse present, I would start bringing it um, around by saying things like, hey, I really want us to fully enjoy our sex life. And I feel like this stands in the way. Um, Are you willing to work on this? And we can even work together on this if you'd like. I can attend your first session if you'd like. I can completely back off and let you do this all on your own if you'd like. Offer up those options and see if he'll get help that way. Um, But bring it back to the reason why isn't because of something wrong with him, but because of you as a couple, you really want to increase your intimacy together.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, even husbands can do this if they feel like their wives may have been victimized or parents even can do this if they feel their children have been victimized. I think as a parent, obviously you have a different level of responsibility to to shepherd and protect your children. But if you find that, you know, I think my kid may have been sexually abused and i think that that even you know giving i feel like sometimes you know we take people's power away when we try to force them to talk about an issue that they don't want to talk about right yeah. now and so i think that that's really really good advice Jess you know i, I this could launch into a whole another podcast episode but i think that we sometimes will make these generalizations around what what happens to a a survivor of sexual abuse, right? Like we've been told, you know, well, they have a a propensity to homosexual behavior, or Mm -hmm. they have, you know, a propensity to promiscuity, or they have a propensity to whatever it is, right? And Mm -hmm. so like, I love taking kind of some of the, the stigma and some of the Bad teaching and just totally unraveling all of that and saying, and I really just hope that people who are listening hear that you are not at fault for what happened to you. You are not somehow dirty or damaged goods because of what happened to you, that there is always redemption available and that you are not impure. Because of what happens to you, that God is able to take even that thing that, you know, I think of the the scripture, you know, even what the enemy meant for evil, God is able to turn that around for good. And he can allow even that trauma that you went through, whether you were a teen or whether you were again, a child or even an adult, that he can use that trauma and really make something beautiful out of it. So I'm thankful, Jess, that you've shared your story. I feel more empowered even sharing mine. Um, yeah, I'm not going to like do this on every episode. I'm like, okay, like I said it. (laughs) Let's move on. However, I you know, I really know that there is healing when we can put into the light what we've kept in the dark for so long. It no longer has any power, it no longer has any hold over us and we can say, yeah, I I did walk through that, but guess what? I survived. I'm stronger because of it. And so yet again, I think the world has kind of led this charge a little bit, you know, with the Me Too movement, where you have all of these people. So I just want the same thing to happen in the church. I want people to be able to talk about these issues with trusted counselors, and I want them to be able to get the help and the healing um, that they so desperately need. Because I think that, you know, it will affect not only your sexual relationship, but it will affect many relationships and many facets of relationships if we choose to keep this hidden. So thank you for bringing this into the light with me today, sister. I appreciate Uh it. Thank
1: you. Thank you. You know, as far as the church goes, and I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but um, as far as the church goes, there's an author and a therapist. Her name is Diane Langberg. And she does a beautiful job of talking, especially from a faith-based perspective of what it what it means to walk through trauma and wonder some of those bigger questions even of, well, where was God when this mm-hmm. was happening? And for people of faith, especially, I think that's an, a heavy piece that we have to walk through, especially, especially like if you were a Christian when it happened. And you can wonder, well, why didn't God and all of his goodness go ahead and stop this? Um, so I would say that that's an excellent resource on the threshold of hope. It's a book and a workbook, and it's a wonderful way to start this process, especially as a Christian for working through the
0: trauma and the where was God. Awesome. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes of this episode. And Jess, I want people to find you. I want people to have a conversation with you. I think you are just perfect for this. So tell people about how they can find you and how they can work with you.
1: Sure. So the best way to find me is on my website, BeFullyWell.com. That's going to link you to all of my social media. So YouTube, Facebook, um, Instagram. So it'll link you to those three. It also gives you access to things like um, free communication course I've done and some other little goodies. Um, so that's the best way to reach out to me and to work with me. So that's BeFullyWell.com. Three words, be
0: com, And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Jessica. This has been a rich conversation. And um, I'm just excited for all the listeners. I'm excited that they get to begin their journey or maybe complete their journey of healing in the area of sexual trauma. So thanks, friend. Appreciate you. Uh, thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. You know, like I said in the episode, I really do pray that those of you who are listening who have been affected by childhood sexual abuse will really do the work to find your healing. I cannot stress that enough. I know that for me at least, it sometimes still wants to rear its ugly head if I allow it to. And every single time that that shame wants to knock on my door and those insecurities want to rear their ugly heads, I have to remember and say even I am healed. I've been healed of this. This is no longer my life. I am not a victim and neither are you, friend. And so thank you so much, Jessica. This is a conversation that we really need to continue to have. We need to be having these conversations in our families and our churches and our marriages and our relationships with our friends, with our children. And so be sure to go on Jess's website. I'll have links to her site in the show notes of this podcast episode. Before we go, though, let me go back to the question that we had in the Q&A with Dana Shea segment. And even before we get into the question, you guys, we are sad to say that this all about sex series has come to an end. I know all good things must come to an end, though. But hey, be excited because we are about to launch a brand new singles episode. That's right. You guys, you singles, I have heard from you. I have heard from so many single people being like, hey, Dana, what about us? What about us? So I'm super excited to be able to bring those episodes to you starting next week. Okay, so let's go back to our Q&A with Dana Shea. Let me just read the question for you again real quick. This listener wrote in and said, Hey, Dana, love the podcast and all you're doing to help relationships. My husband and I have enjoyed the sex series you're doing. It has sparked so many conversations between us. I've heard you talk about writing in questions. So I decided to send you one today because my husband and I couldn't agree on this one. He likes to watch porn. Not a lot, but on occasion. At first, I didn't care because it seemed like he was way into me after watching it. But then I started to wonder if it was me he was into or if he was having fantasies about what he had just watched. Long story short, I told him I wanted him to cut out the porn. He didn't see a problem with it and said, Most men are out here cheating on their wives. I'm totally into you. We really do have a great marriage other than this. Should I just let it go? By the way, you can use my real name so he knows I sent you this, Tiffany. All right, Tiff. I don't know Tiffany, but Tiff is what I'm going to call you. Tiffany, let's go ahead and talk about it, girl. So first of all, no, you should not just let it go. You should continue to tell your husband that this is not healthy. This is not healthy for him, and it is not healthy for your marriage. I totally disagree that porn in any way, shape, or form Helps marriages. And there's not just my opinion, but there's scientific data out there that talks about how porn negatively affects the brain. And so, if that is not reason enough to stop, let me give you a few other reasons. Porn actually creates a fake intimacy and connection in your marriage. What you're picking up on, which is my husband seems so into me, that's actually just temporary. That is actually his fake connection that he feels like he's making with you because of what he's just watched. If he cannot be into you without watching porn, there's a problem with that. Another thing is that porn gets progressively worse. Most people don't just start off watching porn once or twice a week and stay that way. No, no, no. It gets worse and worse and worse. So that one hour flick that they're watching that one week turns into two hours, which turns into watching it several days, which then turns into an addiction that they can't stop. And so that needs to be said. Your husband needs to be able to understand that. And again, there's so much data out there, Tiffany, that backs up everything that I'm saying. Two more things. Number one is that porn actually subs real creativity in your marriage. I've been talking about a lot uh, on this podcast series about how you need to be creative in your marriage. I've been promoting the Intimately Us app. And so those are things that are going to help you to actually create some real creativity in your sex life. What porn does is it creates this false sense of creativity because you're watching what these folks are doing and you're like, okay, let's try that instead of you actually being creative yourself. But the biggest thing, I think, other than obviously the objectification of women and men, depending on what kind of porn he's into, you know, porn objectifies people. It sees people as objects, as tools. It uses people. It's not healthy. It isn't good. And this is the biggest thing that I wanted to say is that statistics actually show that porn can lead to infidelity. In some cases, you can have up to a 300% higher rate of infidelity just because you're watching porn than other couples. And so to me, it is playing with fire. It is not something that is healthy. There are literally no statistics, no research, no scientific data out there that shows that porn is in any way useful. So please do not let this go, Tiffany. Continue to tell your husband that this is not good. And if he can't stop It might be time for you guys to reach out for some outside help. So there you go. Well, guys, we are about to sign off here, but I want to encourage you to head over to realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 29, where you can download the show notes from this episode. You can also find Dr. Jessica McLeese's links. I am going to also link to an article from the Dating Divas that talk a lot about that question of porn. Be sure to check that article out. So again, realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 29. It's been a pleasure you all serving you today on this episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Write your reviews so that other people can find out about Real Relationship Talk. And of course, share it across all your social media platforms. Can't wait to see you back next week on the next episode, you guys. Until next time, take care.